Section 52 of Mark Twain, A Biography, Part 2, 1907 to 1910. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography, by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 263 Some Literary Luncheons. Howells, in his book, refers to the Human Race Luncheon Club which Clemens once organized for the particular purpose of damning the species in concert. It was to consist, beside Clemens himself, of Howells, Colonel Harvey, and Peter Dunn. But it somehow never happened that even this small membership could be assembled while the idea was still fresh, and therefore potent. Out of it, however, grew a number of those private social gatherings which Clemens so dearly loved, small luncheons and dinners given at his own table. The first of these came along toward the end of 1907, when Howells was planning to spend the winter in Italy. "'Howells is going away,' he said, "'and I should like to give him a stag party. We'll enlarge the Human Race Club for the occasion.'" So Howells, Colonel Harvey, Martin Littleton, Augustus Thomas, Robert Porter, and Paderewski were invited. Paderewski was unable to come, and seven in all assembled. Howells was first to arrive. "'Here comes Howells,' Clemens said. "'Old Howells, a thousand years old.' But Howells didn't look it. His face was full of good nature and apparent health, and he was by no means venerable either in speech or action. Thomas, Porter, Littleton, and Harvey drifted in, cocktails were served, and luncheon was announced. Claude the butler had prepared the table with fine artistry, its center a mass of roses. There was to be no woman in the neighborhood. Clemens announced this fact as a sort of warrant for general freedom of expression. Thomas's play, The Witching Hour, was then at the height of its great acceptance, and the talk naturally began there. Thomas told something of the difficulty which he found in being able to convince a manager that it would succeed, and declared it to be his own favorite work. I believe there was no dissenting opinion as to its artistic value, or concerning its purpose and psychology, though these had been the stumbling-blocks from a managerial point of view. When the subject was concluded, and there had come a lull, Colonel Harvey, who was seated at Clemens' left, said, Uncle Mark, he often called him that, Major Lee handed me a report of the year's sales just as I was leaving. It shows your royalty returns this year to be very close to fifty thousand dollars. I don't believe there is another such return from old books on record. This was said in an undertone to Clemens only, but was overheard by one or two of those who sat nearest. Clemens was not unwilling to repeat it for the benefit of all, and did so. Howells said, a statement like that arouses my basest passions. The books are no good. It's just the advertising they get. Clemens said, Yes, my contract compels the publisher to advertise. It costs them two hundred dollars every time they leave the advertisement out of the magazines. And three hundred every time we put it in, said Harvey. We often debate whether it is more profitable to put in the advertisement or to leave it out. The talk switched back to plays and acting. Thomas recalled an incident of Beerbaum Tree's performance of Hamlet. 
w c gilbert of light opera celebrity was present at a performance and when the play ended mrs tree hurried over to him and said oh mr gilbert what did you think of mr tree's rendition of hamlet remarkable said gilbert funny without being vulgar it was with such idle tales and talk-play that the afternoon passed not much of it all is left to me but i remember howells saying did it ever occur to you that the newspapers abolished hell well they did it was never done by the church there was a consensus of newspaper opinion that the old hell with its lake of fire and brimstone was an antiquated institution in fact a dead letter and again i was coming down broadway last night and i stopped to look at one of the street vendors selling those little toy fighting roosters it was a bleak desolate evening nobody was buying anything and as he pulled the string and kept those little roosters dancing and fighting his remarks grew more and more cheerless and sardonic japanese game chickens he said pretty toys amuse the children with their antics child of three can operate it take them home for christmas chicken fight at your own fireside i tried to catch his eye to show him that i understood his desolation and sorrow but it was no use he went on dancing his toy chickens and saying over and over chicken fight at your own fireside the luncheon over we wandered back into the drawing-room and presently all left but colonel harvey clemens and the colonel went up to the billiard-room and engaged in a game of cushion caroms at twenty-five cents a game i was umpire and stakeholder and it was a most interesting occupation for the series was close and a very cheerful one it ended the day much to mark twain's satisfaction for he was oftenest winner that evening he said we will repeat that luncheon we ought to repeat it once a month howells will be gone but we must have the others we cannot have a thing like that too often there was in fact a second stag luncheon very soon after at which george riggs was present and that rare irish musician dennis o'sullivan it was another choice afternoon with a mystical quality which came of the music made by o'sullivan on some hindu reeds pipes of pan but we shall have more of o'sullivan presently all too little for his days were few and fleeting howells could not get away just yet colonel harvey who like james osgood would not fail to find excuse for entertainment chartered two drawing-room cars and with mrs harvey took a party of fifty-five or sixty congenial men and women to lakewood for a good-bye luncheon to howells it was a day borrowed from june warm and beautiful the trip down was a sort of reception most of the guests were acquainted but many of them did not often meet there was a constant visiting back and forth the full length of the two coaches dennis o'sullivan was among the guests he looked in the bloom of health and he had his pipes and played his mystic airs then he brought out the tin whistle of ireland and blew such rollicking melodies as capering fairies invented a long time ago this was on the train going down there was a brief program following the light-hearted feasting an informal program fitting to that sunny day it opened with some recitations by miss kitty cheatham then colonel harvey introduced howells with mention of his coming journey 
as a rule howells does not enjoy speaking he is willing to read an address on occasion but he has owned that the prospect of talking without his notes terrifies him this time however there was no reluctance though he had prepared no speech he was among friends he looked even happy when he got on his feet and he spoke like a happy man he talked about mark twain it was all delicate delicious chafing which showed howells at his very best all too short for his listeners clemens replying returned the chaff and rambled amusingly among his fancies closing with a few beautiful words of godspeed and safe return to his old comrade and friend then once more came dennis and his pipes no one will ever forget his part of the program the little samples we had heard on the train were expanded and multiplied and elaborated in a way that fairly swept his listeners out of themselves into that land where perhaps dennis himself wanders playing now for a month later strong and lusty and beautiful as he seemed that day he suddenly vanished from among us and his reeds were silent it never occurred to us then that dennis could die and as he finished each melody and song there was a shout for a repetition and i think we could have sat there and let the days and years slip away unheeded for time is banished by music like that and one wonders if it might not even divert death it was dark when we crossed the river homeward the myriad lights from heaven-climbing windows made an enchanted city in the sky the evening like the day was warm and some of the party left the fairy cabin to lean over and watch the magic spectacle the like of which is not to be found elsewhere on the earth End of chapter 263, Some Literary Luncheons, read by John Greenman.